four of We Are Alchemists. I am your host, Neil Bruce, and with me, we have Ben Putley. Say hello, Ben. Hi, everyone. And I am really happy to say that I have one of my favourite ex-colleagues, Emily Scovell, and her husband, Thomas, here to, um, to talk through the buy side of the advertising uh, ecosystem, as well as the creative and strategy side. Um, I think this is going to be a really nice conversation, uh, because it actually will give you some insight into what agencies think and what clients think when they are actually planning their campaigns and um, looking to get activity live. So we're looking at it from the other side of the fence today. Yeah, which should be interesting. We've not done that yet. We've largely been publisher and, I guess, tech focused for now. So yeah, I'm, I'm very excited to hear what you guys have to say. Um, both obviously have got a huge amount of experience in advertising. So yeah, we're excited to get started. And I think without any further ado, like, Probably best if you guys introduce yourselves. I will do you a disservice. So you guys go ahead and get the party started. Uh, hi, um, guys. Great. Thanks for having us on. I'm really excited to talk about Alchemy um, and how it's going to transform the industry. I'm, I'm Thomas. I'm a creative strategist. Um, essentially, it means I work for a creative agency. My job is to understand the consumer, understand sort of the, the brand, and sort of create the brief that our wonderful creative people um, work on to come up with the, the things that you guys, at the end of the day, experience as adverts. I um, In my previous role, I worked at The Fifth, which was a creative influencer agency. And that was the first time I really came into contact with a creative strategist. And I have to say, I was hugely impressed with kind of the ability to take what are quite often haphazard briefs that you get from a client and really like formulate that into what is then beautiful creative execution. So yeah, I got a lot of appreciation for the work you do, Thomas. Absolutely. And I'm Emily. Um, nice touch, Neil, on the... Um favourite ex-colleague. <laughs> Appreciate that. Um, I am joint head of planning at Mindshare. So Mindshare is a media company. Um, and I look after the planning team there, a big team of about 75 planners, and essentially kind of lead the team both in operations and in terms of output. Um, and essentially a, a media planner's job is to take the client brief, similar to what a creative strategist does, but on the media side, and respond to a client's challenges in terms of how we will meet those in media, how we will meet the audience, and what that kind of channel execution and implementation looks like. Nice. Um how do you find that? Because obviously you're probably planning across multiple different channels, I guess from outdoor to video to audio, you name it, right? Is it, I bet it gives you a lot of work to do. A lot of work. Um, I think, it, you know, it really differs depending on the category, on the audience, on the client, on the challenge. There are, you know, a lot of different channels. There's a lot of fragmentation um, and a lot of different ways to approach things. We kind of talk about um, the way you come into a brief as a planner is almost like a maze. There's no single entry and exit point. Every planner kind of brings a different level of expertise and thinking behind that. Um, and, you know, have to make a number of decisions along the way and decide actually really what is best with the audience in mind, first and foremost, really a true understanding of that and how to, um, how to influence them throughout media, I think is sort of the end goal, no matter what way you come at it. Definitely, definitely. So I think... Let's jump straight into it and almost flip the script. So you guys have had your entire career in advertising, so let's jump straight into blockchain. Put you guys on the spot. Like, how long have you been involved in the blockchain space? What led you to it originally? Just it's always interesting to hear how people discovered the red pill, as it were. I, I mean, this is. I think I think we've both known and sort of we, we, 
Advertising always connects to technology or has been for the past yeah. 15, 20 years. I think there's at the periphery of it, you work with a lot of very heavily digital people who kind of, you know, will, will be telling you about these new things that are coming along and, you know, blockchain is certainly one of those things uh, over the past sort of decade. But I think, to be honest, um, it's only been really recently and really for, for, from our point of view when we discovered alchemy that it's become super relevant to advertising. Yeah. I think it's been for a long time maybe a bit of a promise, maybe a bit of a, oh, this technology could do this and that, but no one's ever really crystallised what that could be Absolutely. until you guys came along. I think from a personal point of view, I think the first time we encountered uh, blockchain or Bitcoin specifically together was when we first moved to London in about 2013, 2014. And uh, we moved to, to, to Whitechapel and there was a, a burger bar in Spitalfields okay, that was yeah. accepting Bitcoin. No was, way. I think you, the, didn't, you didn't buy a burger in Bitcoin, no, did I, you? No, we did not buy a, a burger for Bitcoin. Um, had we, I think I worked this out before, had we bought a burger at the time, I think that would now be a thousand pound burger. That's crazy. Uh, which is a nice inflation, obviously not as good as the inflation of the old um, Bitcoin pizza, but, yep. but still, um, I think that goes to show. We've had some, the, some good burgers in London, but yeah. I don't yeah. think yeah. we've ever I had one. No, a thousand pounds, bucks, yeah. yeah. And to go back to your point on um, kind of blockchain becoming relevant, I think it's, I've, I've always worked in ad tech. I've, I've been, I love technology. It's always kind of made sense to me and I just, yeah, always loved it from Game Boys to bloody PS5s now or computers, to, whatever it to was. Podcasting, to podcasting. Yeah, amateur podcaster, yeah. Um, yeah, always been no all the gear, no idea, sadly. Um, but I think, to bring it back to ad tech, the, the innovation in ad tech largely had been around formats for a long time. I think it was kind of the first digital ad in the early 2000s, then mobile came around and Neil, you had a lot to say about mobile at the time when you were working at Mindshare and the formats in mobile were then kind of display and then it became video and then audio came around as audio so there's, there's not been a huge innovation around the underlying infrastructure and i think for one the reason we're so excited about what we're doing at alchemy exchange and kind of you guys are so excited which is awesome to see that people in the industry don't think we're completely crazy um is the the promise and the premise that can be unlocked with new infrastructure it, it's kind of creaking at the seams i think it'd be fair to say now is because a lot of different parts have been glued together so yeah the the actual application of the technology to the infrastructure is not something that I personally have seen for a long time in ad tech, which is still very much in vogue with VCs and money being invested. I think we had a crazy stat that was like $11 billion in Q1 were invested in mergers and acquisitions and kind of private investment into blockchain, blockchain into ad tech, which shows it's still very much a, a market of interest for a lot of people. So yeah, we're hugely excited to bring the next level of that infrastructure to the market, which is a huge market, right? It's billions and billions of dollars that are spent. I'm probably sure you've, you control a huge amount of budgets when you're planning these campaigns, Emily. <laughs> we do, we, yeah, we do get big budgets, but, you know, big brands with big audience goals. So yeah, big money comes with that. I think just looping back to your kind of original question yeah. around what you think about the blockchain, I'm definitely not an ad, you know, a, a tech specialist at all. Um, and I think, you know, it's one of those buzzwords that's been around for a while that I've sort of avoided for a long time. But I think what interests both Thomas and I from our jobs is actually, you know, there's the tech side of it, interesting, but also what's happening from a cultural perspective. Yeah. How are people talking about it? How are people interacting with it? Where things like the, the burger example that yeah, Thomas yeah. just listed, that's something that massively interests us from thinking about it from an audience perspective. How are people engaging with the tech? Um, and then we have to think about it from a capability perspective. What can we do with it now to, you know, influence people with yeah. that? And I think the, the ad industry in particular is, is super susceptible to this hype cycle. So these buzzwords will be coming out and, you know, a client will say, or, or, and, you know, 
a client lead in an agency will be like, oh, we need to be doing this, that and the other. And, and it is, it's quite an easy way to throw a spanner into the works. And I think to some extent it can be a bit of a problem because things, they're almost like fads and you test something before it, before it should really be done. Um, and then you form an opinion you know, you know, confirmation bias against against or for that for that technology based off that fad. Um, and we always had when I was back doing my mobile stuff. You know, people used to talk about the year of mobile, and you know, is is this year? Have we had the year it of mo- yeah, well, I, I, I don't do it anymore. <laughs> but um, but I, I think that 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 kind of thing is um, is a bit of a bit of a problem because it just mean, means that people are waiting for something to all of a sudden happen. They just wanted to be there. And they want to be able to go straight into it. And when I was, when we were launching Alchemy, people were like, well, you know, blockchain didn't, you know, 2018 wants, you know, wants its buzzword back. And I was like, yeah, but the problem is that you need to get the foundations. Like you said, you, like you need to take this idea and then find a way to actually make the idea fit into what you want to do from a, from an advertising perspective. And I think, Certainly with the, with the idea of putting an ad auction onto the chain, we might be starting to see that. Yeah. And I think to kind of go back to what you were saying around like cultural shifts and kind of marrying what you're saying with adoption, Neil, it's, and this, this wasn't my stat, but we did a, a webcast with Exchange Wire and the CEO of Constellation, Ben Jorgensen, was talking about how quite often in technology, um, you can look at developers and what they're looking to develop and how they're looking to move from what they're developing now to the next thing that they think is cool, right? And I think there was some crazy stat that the number, 200% increase in the number of developers changing their career to code on Ethereum and other blockchain, which to me kind of shows you that the winds of change are already coming in because like developers are quite often the smartest people in the room. And if they're identifying really elegant solutions with a blockchain to old problems, then you kind of got to take notice of where kind of the, the intellectual IQ points are going in terms of development and just look to follow them essentially because if you don't do that then you, you there is a danger of being left behind, right? Yeah, I, th- I think in advertising there's, you know, the Gartner hype cycles is the idea that, you yeah. know, exciting innovations, you know, first people get thrilled with them and but they don't really know what to do with them then they kind of, you know, then people are going to lose faith in them then they become more mature and eventually people are going to actually properly make use of them and it can take quite a while for a technology to go from sort of hype to actually in use advertising tends to really focus on either end of that yeah. so if there's something really new and innovative you want to use it because you get stand out you're the first to do it mm-hmm. and you'll do it but then if you're not the first to do it you kind of, you don't have anything to do with it yeah. at all and you just forget about it then when it becomes sort of seamless and it's just part of how you do things that's when it's like okay it's just it's in the background you just plug into it and it's, it's fine it's nothing yeah. but people won't put the effort in to be involved sort of in between those two things so it's often that's where um, external businesses you've developed the ad tech that kind of like eventually gets the uptake and you know, businesses like Emily's are the ones that should bring that into the mainstream yeah. and that then connects to practitioners and creative like, like myself but it can take a long time to get to, to get there and I think I, mean, I remember a few years ago we, we, we joked about Emily one of your clients who will remain nameless 
sort of wanted was really buzzing on, on blockchain. Just wanted to do something with it. They wanted to bring their advertising onto blockchain. We kind of laughed because they, they had no more idea than that. And when we didn't yeah, really, yeah. Have, we didn't really have much of an idea either as to what that actually meant. I don't yeah. think anybody in the room did it. It never happened. They certainly couldn't explain it. Yeah, yeah. Like make, <laughs> advertise it, but make it blockchain. Yeah. But, but I think really, to, to, to a degree, what they were asking for was alchemy. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't think until we saw it, um, I don't think any of us would have realised that. Well, if, if if Emily could quietly write down a name of that client on a on a piece of paper and leave it with us, that would be that would be appreciated. I, I think that's just such such an interesting point, though, because the the number of briefs that I do take that you know have in them as a mandatory a media first or you know as something innovation has to be at the heart of this. It means that you are always sort of hunkering and looking for what is the next big thing that people are going to get excited for, and how can you kind of be first to market with that. So there's definitely, that's, that's a hard journey to kind of always deliver on, um, which is why, you know, advertising does obsess about technology and capability. Yeah. I think it's funny though, because like if you could argue that um, like derivative trading or futures trading in the financial world is quite a good leading indicator for what advertising's tried to do, right? Like you kind of look back to the early 2000s and the, I remember read a book by Michael Lewis called Flash Boys where they were literally drilling through mountains to try and get them an extra millisecond on a trade so they could front run it. And they it made was, a film of that now as well. It's amazing, they? yeah. I've not, I will watch that. Um, and that doesn't really seem to happen in advertising, you know? It tends like the innovation comes from the middle, which to me is like kind of a funny way of doing it because like if there was infrastructure and shout out Alchemy because we've got some pretty great infrastructure to just allow the innovation to come from the edges, it makes a lot more sense because, Emily, you know exactly what your clients want. Thomas, you know exactly what your clients want because you create the strategy, right? So why should it not come from you and then you should be able to do whatever it is that you wanted to do through the underlying infrastructure? And I think it feels like, I hope anyway, that we move towards that, that direction because then you do usher in more of like a trader and analyst rather than an account manager and a BD for at least the buying media side of things. And then your efficiencies come from exactly how you target that individual. Like, because you can see now two, three, four, five times more of the information, you're not making decisions based off like a small data set, which through no fault of anyone is kind of making your decisions almost like confirmed bias, right? Because you don't know what that 50, 60, 70% of the data is saying. And correct me if I'm wrong here, but like, see, there might be another another story being told in that set of data versus the data that you're seeing. And it's like, then it's a, it's a difficult task. I have a lot of respect for you guys and what you do because like you don't get to see all the data, right? And that's, that's like really with digital, that's exactly what you want to see. There's a plethora of data available, but you can't get it all together and match it all up to make it sing with each other. I think there's sometimes just too much data as well. Yeah. You know, how do I find something interesting in this? And I know Neil and I have done some work before when we've looked at different data sets and how we match and correlate them to, you know, start with the hypothesis and find something interesting and find the data that suits it rather than try to find the answer in the data alone yeah. because that in itself could take an endless amount of time. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that is one of the fundamental tensions in advertising is that actually the, the smartest people are the, the best at simplifying things, not making them more complex. I think it's something that, that people in uh, the, the, the tech world sometimes struggle to understand when they culturally come into advertising. 
it's you know we just want things to work we we want to know that the one nugget of, of information that's going to lead to the insight that's going to lead to the amazing piece of advertising yeah. we don't need to know all of the things but there are people and there are people like myself and Emily and, and advertising strategists whose job is to filter and whistle through all that data all that information to get down to that nugget to get to that brief that will then inform the creation of the amazing advert or the the, the, the selection of just the right channels to reach the audience at, at the right time yeah and I, I think you know it Yes, we need all the information, but we need it in the right way, in the right format. Um, and and that, 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 that's the tension when technology meets advertising. And also just to your point earlier, Ben, when you were saying that um, you, 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 know, you want people working you know, together at the start to get to the right outcomes, I think that is, it does require enough knowledge to ask the right questions. Yeah. So you know, can I, can, what about if we did this or can I do this? But you need diversity of thought, I guess, to come together to yeah. to have those, that right discussion and have the pe the tech people there on one side that absolutely understand the capabilities and the potential, but the other people to sort of ask completely adjacent questions about what's possible and then you get something really interesting in between. Yeah, there's a, there's a brilliant book by Matthew Syed called Rebel Ideas and he's ah, talking about, it, yeah. about the concept of like homophily and this diversity of thought because, you know, if you've got 10 people coming up with 10 ideas, simple math would say, you, you know, you know, it's 10 times 10, right? But it's not really. If they all come up with the same idea, could, you could end up with 10 ideas, right? So this looking at things with kind of a different perspective, different teams is, is hugely powerful. And I think the other thing that can be quite tricky in the agency world is, is with some people, there's this belief that data equals insight. And it's just not the case, right? Like, you, you give me an, an Excel sheet. It's not that is not an insight. Give me give me a, a percentage increase on something. That is not an insight. It's it's actually taking that and telling the story from that and understanding how you then put that into into the strategy for the campaign. Yeah. I mean, there's a real tension and it's tension um, just across the table here between um, <laughs> me, me and my wife. Um, <laughs> it's, it's how we met. We met, we met at work. Um, but it is a structural tension between media and creative agencies. And yeah, 100%. Emily can go on a rant on this one. Um, hopefully she won't for all of our sake. But uh, media and creative agencies used to be together. as essentially as, as advertising agencies back in the, the Mad Men days. They got split apart for various structural reasons, mostly to make more money on, on, on both sides. And the reality is, is that one of those agencies, media agencies, tend to focus more on, um, she's shooting me um, daggers already, on efficiency. Because mm. they're, they're trying to essentially yeah. buy the adverts and the right um, spaces for the cheapest price yeah um and then there's creative agencies are more interested in effectiveness which is like what's the, the most impactful thing we can do with those eyeballs when we get them sometimes it's worth paying more for the right person because we can give them the right message and there's always that tension ma matching those two things together i think again that's what's really exciting about alchemy is that it's actually enabling us to, to focus on both of those things so we're able to reduce the cost becoming more efficient but also able to um spend more money with the publisher that we do want to use to create better, more impactful adverts, maybe less of them, but those adverts are sort of more impactful so we can do those together. And that's why it's the greatest um, partnerships, um, me and my wife's um, relationship, both professional and otherwise, um, you know, uh, do, do combine those two things and combine an understanding of them um, and rather I, than sort of a combative one. Yeah, and I think, you know, the reason I am shooting daggers at that is not because I disagree with it, but I actually 
do I won't go on my rant. So I've written a, <laughs> <Please> <laughs> written do. a thesis on it recently, but it's I, a great thesis to I am a massive advocate for the collaboration of creative and media. And actually, I think when the two split, that was the demise of uh, some of the thinking in media and that we did go down a rabbit hole of concentrating too much on efficiency, largely as a result of all the capabilities that the internet brought about yeah. and being able to target with granularity and everything like that actually became, you know, we did a lot of that because we could and we were learning to understand a very complex and new world. But actually now I think it's, you know, there's a return to planning for audience attention and really thinking about the value exchange between an advertiser and the audience, which again I think is, you know, the perfect thing about alchemy that makes it really interesting to both Thomas and I on the creative and the media side um, is, is, you know, how we connect with people in a meaningful way and actually influence them as opposed to just spam them around the internet. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm... I'm so happy to, to hear that. You know, I was, I was as guilty as anyone else when it came to, you know, the data that you could use and, and the ability to, to target people. But I was hopefully uh, always trying to evangelize, you know, that, that you're, you're not just using it to, to whack an ad in, some, in front of someone, you're, you're trying to use it to understand how you should be talking to that person, right? Like, like it shouldn't just be like, oh, and I, I think as well, the fact that we call it targeting is, is, is pretty yeah. awful, right? Yeah. Like, is that, <laughs> A pretty pejorative term. How are we talking to an audience, but also when it's relevant, you know, to talk to them individually versus, you know, a, a more generic sort of mass audience message. And sometimes I think we've been guilty of trying to talk to people individually, targeting them too much with, you know, no real point to doing that. Yeah, I think so. And particularly as devices have changed, right? Like when it was just your computer, it was just your computer, right? But when phones proliferated and your computer ended up in your pocket... It, this is a much more personal device than my laptop. I speak to my mom, I speak to my girlfriend, I speak to my family, you have your banking information on here. It really is like a almost an extension of yourself that sits in your pocket. And when I used to work at Share3, we did a, a survey of millennials and it was um, if you had the choice of losing your little finger forever or your mobile phone forever, what would you choose? And two thirds of the people said they'd rather lose a finger than a phone. I agree. I wouldn't be able to get home from a night out. I wouldn't be able to order stuff on Amazon. I wouldn't, I'd get lost every time I went out if I didn't have a phone. And the fact that people value a physical device over a f actual body part shows you that you then need to be careful about the messaging and the way in which you target users in a phone, right? Like if it's, if it's a message that seems alien and it is jarring to you, particularly on a mobile device, it has like the opposite effect of an advertiser. You're like, yeah, I hate that brand now because of that massive ad that popped up in the middle of the screen, right? Or the, 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 the five second, 15 second monday.com ad that you couldn't skip on YouTube. Like I cannot tell you how many thousands of times monday.com showed me an ad. I was like, I'm paying for YouTube premium because of, <laughs> because of monday.com. On this, on a similar research note and thinking about how personal the mobile was, I think actually, Neil, you were involved in this too. We had a hunch that people would rather do anything than reveal their private Google search history yep. on their phone. And actually we surveyed people and people would rather run around the office naked than show their Google search history. And, <laughs> it, would but, be, it would be less damning, less but, damning to yeah. run around naked. It was actually, um, people were more worried about appearing ignorant and, and, you know, admitting to the okay, things that yeah, they have to Google than they were about, you know, the things that we thought they would be worried about showing, you know, 
Googling all sorts of ailments that they might have or anything yeah. like that. It was more about like, I don't want to, people to know that I didn't know the answer to this. Yeah, like, yeah, so. exactly. Like, what's the capital city of London? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> UK, it's London. <laughs> I don't even know. Don't look at my Google search history because it's embarrassing. Like, how do you count to 10? <laughs> I wanted to touch, um, and you know, Thomas spoke to this, but you know, about this, this idea of efficiency, and this is uh, really a question kind of for the media agency side of things. The internet is a, you know, it's, it's essentially a black box at the moment, right? You know, media agencies are working with a variety of partners. How savvy do you think the agencies are starting to get when it comes to understanding the supply path and arbitrage, et cetera, et cetera? I think it's been a real journey. And I think actually it has, I mean, I've been in, in pictures recently when people have wanted to talk about transparency and lack of trust and understanding, you know, the use of blockchain within that supply path and things like that, not always with all the knowledge, but with enough knowledge to ask those questions, which I think is a dangerous place when people have a little bit of knowledge and mm. they've got, and they start those conversations, it's, it's risky because you need people that really do understand it. I would say different people with different specialties in an agency, in a big agency like mine, though that degree of savviness differs across specialism. So in my role, it's not something I have to completely understand. In fact, actually, in some cases, the less I know about the the dynamics of how you buy something, the better. And actually, most planners, we try to avoid them having to know too much about that side of things because you need to make channel agnostic decisions about the audience and things like that. However, where we've got a number of, you know, extremely talented digital specialists, that, that's their whole world. And we bring those people into the room to have those discussions too. Um, but I think it's something that's being talked about more. I think clients and brands are wanting to know more about it. More questions are being asked. There's more ad fraud and things like that in the, in the yeah. industry press and things like that, that those questions are becoming, you know, more, um, coming in more frequently from all over the place. I think clients are, are becoming, you know, increasingly savvy. They, they, yeah. they know their numbers. Um, they, 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 they have to know them. I mean, we, we've got some clients that, that will really push us on numbers and, and it's great. I really, you know, I, I, it used to be, to be honest, a, a lot easier at the job. Um, and in some ways that was nice. Um, but in other ways now you can actually stand out as, as a practitioner because you actually do know the numbers, you can have those conversations. Um, and, and what's really interesting is, you know, at, at the highest level, you know, it's, it's not just the, your, your brand managers, but your CMOs are really in touch with those numbers. Yep. And some of them are increasingly using that data to, to point the finger at um, certain platforms and say, we're just not going to be there. Um, I mean, I'll, I'll single out Facebook. We've got, a, you know, I know a number of um, clients, large global clients um, and CMOs that really just don't want to be on Facebook. Um, that they don't want to be there ethically yeah. um, because of you know what, what they think it's doing to society. And they also just don't really think um, their advertising gets the, 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 the mind share that, that it should. I mean, um, I mean some, know, of their, some of their um, ways of measuring things are quite frankly ludicrous. When you, when you look at like kind of viewability or uh, video completion, for example, and the fact that they'll take con the completion or the seconds view doesn't have to be concurrent, right? So if you're scrolling up and down your feed and an ad plays, they will count that. Yeah, three seconds, I think. Yeah, that was. yeah. yeah but people should have understood this, is that, you know, when, when it comes to advertising, you know, it's essentially it can be bought on many sort of different, um, many different, many different ways. But, but essentially we, we, we pay if someone views an advert for more than three seconds. And as you yeah. say, they don't even view their <laughs> three seconds at a time. Um, and you know what, what's three seconds? It's, it's it's nothing. You can't convince someone of something. You can't make someone love a brand in three seconds. Yeah. What you can do is show the logo, and and that, that's Facebook. And not picking on them, but to a degree we are here, um, and deservedly so. But that, 
Absolutely. And then that's what you can do is show yeah. the logo. And then that's their advice is put the logo in the first three seconds. I'm like, that's great. If, that's if you just so know, great. If you just yeah. to remind Jesus someone that, that a brand Christ. exists, yeah. then that's fine. And there's a role for that. Mental availability is important. And mm. if someone needs to see Coca-Cola's um, logo a certain number of times a week to, to, to buy, um, you know, one Coca-Cola a year. That's just how it works. But if you're actually trying to, to, to make someone consider a new brand, if you're trying to get someone to actually love a brand, become loyal to it, you need to spend more time with them. Yeah. Um, and, and unfortunately, because you know the audience are, you know, we, we love phones, but we question, I question some of the, the the quality of some of the apps that we spend our times with. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's really hard to reach consumers now. Um, you know, because a lot of the quality websites that you know are, you know make brilliant content and, and spend a lot of money, great journalists. Um, most people just see that content now on Facebook, on Instagram. It's like it's, it's, it's a shared you know, paragraph from a friend and they read the headline and, and that's, like, that's, that's yeah. literally it. And so, you know, the, the advertising on those platforms doesn't get seen. They put a lot of adverts on those platforms to make up for the fact that they're, they're getting less visitors and it becomes this vicious cycle of, you know, sites becoming worse and worse and spammier and spammier to make take, take advantage of the, the less um, traffic they have. And you know, then we try to find places to put our brands so people can spend some time with them and, and you know and, and actually properly see and experience the adverts. Uh, increasingly finding that they're, they're difficult. Um, and to be honest, um, that, that's why TV is still as, as huge as it is. Um, yeah. You know, because digital really hasn't fulfilled the promise um, that, 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 that it gave us you know, a couple of decades ago. I, yeah, I think it's because it got like kidnapped, arguably, by these big pl- platforms. Right. The one thing that I just logically I can't level with is that Facebook are proponents of equality, diversity, like every, as, as everyone should be, right? Until you want to send a message to an England footballer about how badly they play. They're like, whoa, 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 it's nothing to do with us. We can, infringing copyright will get you. But if you're being racist, then fill your boots as far as we're concerned. You know, it's, it's mad, right? I, I don't get how that squares away and... They're literally co-opting eyeballs from publishers with no responsibility on the content that's being distributed because of some legislation in the US that means they're not responsible. But that is a hugely irresponsible position to take given how prolific it has become across the world. It's mad. I mean, it's mad. I'm still guilty of like kind of doom scrolling every now and then, particularly in the pandemic, like before you know where you are, you're like, oh shit, it's an hour's gone. What the hell happened? Like I've seen a hundred videos of, and my my current penchant is there's... um, it's on YouTube actually, but there's these like Cambodian guys that go into the forest and build like these amazing buildings underground. I, Neil was bullying me yesterday because I spent some time watching it. I can be quite guilty of going into YouTube wormholes, <laughs> but this in particular, I was like, this is fucking amazing. Like, I love this. And that that's the beauty of it, I think, is there's more content available. And even when I think about Facebook, my, my girlfriend's diabetic and she's she's found a lot of solace in groups where people have given her like tips on how to better deal with taking insulin or the types of food to take or why you feel particularly shit after a certain period of time. And that's invaluable to her. But equally, there's groups where you join, they give you a bit of tinfoil and say, by the way, you know, the earth's flat. Here's some experience. You're like, oh my God, I've been waiting to find you guys. Whereas if you went to the pub and I said to Neil, pretty sure the earth's flat, mate, you'd be like, no. We've... I'd be like, yeah, of course it is. Yeah. Like, Everyone knows that. Yeah, it's like, we've been, on, we've been away together in a country where you saw the earth curve. What are you talking about? Hmm. And it, but that doesn't exist now. And it's, it's forcing people to become more and more polarized. And I think because Facebook are co-opting these eyeballs, publishers, websites have had no choice but to kind of follow the sentiment of their audiences and write more clickbaity headlines, which it can't continue, frankly. Like when, when a Viking is marching on parliament buildings because he thinks 
he's saving the country. Like something's gone gone quite badly wrong. You know, like it's it's crazy. Yeah, I mean, it's, it sounds it sounds to be honest a, a little bit tweet just to, to complain about it from the point of view of a brand because yeah. it's, it's 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 fucking with society, frankly. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, from a brand perspective, you know, the, the the context in which an advert pla- is placed is Absolutely, super important. Yeah, yeah. You know, it influences whether you you pay attention to it and whether you believe it, and influences what you think of the brand. And if the context your advert is being placed in is a channel like Facebook, where it's next to misinformation and racism and just shite in general, they're just not going to have a positive halo on that brand. Yep. Um, and you know, it, it's something that we've really lost in this. We used to be before targeting um, world. Where yes, you can chase someone around the web. You can remind them about that sofa they didn't buy. You can know that they're into this, that, and the other, and you can show them just the right advert. I'm, but if I'm you don't still, show them in the right place, then you know they're, they're not going to truly believe it. And you're not really going to influence them. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm still being advertised ski boots, and <laughs> we, we, we're in the middle of a travel ban, and in the summer, right? I said, like, like, why? Why are these people chasing me around? It's absolutely crazy. I know, I know Emily is a, is, a, is a big advocate for context and what, what, what it means and how it can be used. Yeah, I think context is hugely important. And yep. I think some brands, particularly luxury, is actually are really good at having never have derailed from context. Context <laughs> is everything to a brand like Chanel or a Burberry or any kind of luxury. Um, whereas, you know, a lot of other brands have been guilty of you know, trying to find the right person at whatever cost and whatever context that, you know, that they can. And actually that's something that's been lost a little bit because the right context is still of absolute importance. Definitely. I think um, while we're throwing stones at at platforms, (laughs) I mean, there was was a time when we were at Mindshare and I think we can say this because it was on the front page of the Times, right? But, but, you know, one one of our clients... I don't don't know what you're going to say yet. One of our our clients was was shown to be running running ads on YouTube doing all the targeting parameters they wanted to and those ads turned out to be funding ISIS. And um, and then, like from from my angle, that that then opens a, a wormhole because the the email comes through go, going right. You now need to unpick your entire media plan. And you're trying to find out. Obviously, this was a YouTube buy, but then you're looking at your display media buys. You had a similar one where an ad turned up on Breitbart, and you're trying to work out where you had bought that. And then you find out that you can't actually chase it that far down because the data is obfuscated and then you find out when you unpick it a little bit more that you're you have someone on plan um who is buying their inventory from someone someone else and they're buying that inventory from someone else who is on plan so already you have you have cannibalization going on and you know it's just a it's a murky it's a murky marketplace at the moment yeah, I mean, to be honest, if I, if I had a dollar um, for every time a client sent, sent us, you know, something going, well, how do I add it in up here? Or, what, what, what's this? And it's like, we can't answer that. Yeah. Why can't we answer that? You know, there needs to be much more transparency. And we need to be much more deliberate about the choices. Yeah. It shouldn't just be find this user anywhere. It should be find this user in this context, um, you know, give them this message, um, you know, and, and, and make all of that quality and, and worry about that. I think we have to have a lot of guardrails around brand safety. And I mean, you know, it's, it's not just all cowboys out there. Like yeah. there is a lot of those guardrails do exist. And, you know, it's certainly at big agencies, brand safety is, you know, paramount because you don't want, you know, your client ending up on the front page of the Times having funded ISIS. Um, <laughs> but it is complicated and it's, you know, it's, it's really complicated to chase down when it does happen. And it, it, despite all the brand safety you have in place, you know, it does every now and then happen. It's really complicated to find out exactly why, um, 
you know, and it wouldn't be, you know, if it was an ad in the press appearing to something, that, you know, next to something you didn't want to be next to, it would not be as complicated, I mm. guess. <laughs> yeah, and I think like, <clears throat> if we kind of like look to the, to the future almost, and one of the big, um, one of the most important features that we have at Alchemy Exchange is that because of the ability for us to kind of distribute bandwidth on the exchange to those that require it to serve their ads, we're presenting a much, much more cost-effective means of trading ads, right? Which then puts more resource back into the hands of publishers, back into the hands of media agencies, for creative agencies. And like, that's a very, I think, the impacts of that would be hard to quantify, but I'm going to try and ask you to do it, either qualitatively, but like, how much of an impact do you think it would make to the the type of skills people have in your business, The what that would mean for future campaigns when you're, creating your strategies, Thomas, like in the future, if you get 49% of your dollar back, 48%, um, where do you think that's going to be put, put best to work? And like, what, what changes do you think that would make to your day to day? And then ultimately the impact on that for the clients that you guys are serving? I mean, there's two things you do with more money, right? You can just choose to reach more people. Yeah. And, you know, one of the fundamental tenets of advertising is, you know, your goal is to reach them as much of the marketplace as you can. Um, you know, at the right kind of frequency. Um, there's, there's a danger in, in, in that because then essentially you're just going for the same number of sort of low quality um, views, mm-hmm. um, but just more of them. Um, I'm, I'm hoping that in the future, both married with, you know, the, the fact that Alchemy um, will ensure that there is more money um, is not just suspended on that. It's not just a balance of, of, of more people, but also of, of you know, selecting the, the right places and giving them the right messages um, and you know, just making better creative Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and more, more, more deliberate creative that, that, that's seen in the right places um, rather than you know, a, a lot of it all, all at once. Yeah, I think also, you know, if, you, uh, if you're really thinking about the audience and that value exchange, a better connection between brand and audience is kind of the ultimate goal. And also, I think, to some of the other points that you made in there, you know, having those different skill sets and those kind of one-to-one relationships with people um, really happens as, you know, magic happens there when you collaborate. And again, like we were talking about earlier, you get the right people in the room that can bring different skill sets together and ask different questions. You can create more, something more meaningful and more powerful and um, and ultimately, like you know, a bit of magic together mm. when you do that. So I think, you know, if, if more power is back with the publisher, there'll be more of that happening and more kind of direct relationships between agencies and, and creative partners and things as well. I think to a degree, looking to the future does does mean returning potentially to, 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 to the past in a, yeah. in, a, in a way. If you think of of, of, of the web and of um, sort of internet content, more like the way that sort of press um, was treated in the past, where you, you've got you've got magazines, they they create got great content um, that they allow you to understand you know, the type of people that, that read that content, they understand you know where in the magazine and what, what sort of content you're going to be seen against. So you 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 know the context, mm-hmm. and as an advertiser, you can work with that that title. To, to, to know that the right people are seeing it, um, you know what else they're talking about, um, and how you should frame your brand in that context to have the most impact. Yep. Um, and I think we're hopefully we're able to be more deliberate um, in, 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 our, in our thinking in the way we both choose where to be um, and what to say in, in, in the future. And hopefully, advertising is it's not funding ISIS. Um, <laughs> I think it's the takeaway quote, quote from this um, session. Yeah. Uh, but 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 it's funding like great positive, longer form, more in depth. 
um, more, more, more deliberate content that's having a, p- a positive impact on the world. Yeah, because I think like, I, I think like Condé Nast for me is an amazing business, right? Like their magazines are still some of the most famous magazines in the world, GQ, Vogue, Vanity Fair. And part, one of the things is probably because I work in advertising, but one of the things I love about them is you get those beautifully well shot ads that are essentially like a piece of art at the end of the day. And like, I, I appreciate that. There's like a lot of thought and consideration. Someone's passionate about it. And that's amazing. And I think that some of that is lost because publishers are forced to put five, six, seven, eight, nine ad units on a page, which are 300 by 250 or 728 by 90. And there's only so much you can see in that. And I think it's like a, some of that magic is lost. And I mean, there's there's a world that we think about where because of the way that um, Alchemy Exchange is built, everyone essentially is validating data. And there's going to be certain rules by which you follow. And if you don't follow them, there may be, um, you would lose some of your ability to trade on the bandwidth. And equally, if you do follow these rules, you earn more bandwidth that you can use to discount your fees further. And that's going to really just kind of create this generative economic model. I know we talk about it a lot, but the ability where if everyone is trying to work with a good intent with other people's best interests in heart, that becomes that rising tide, right? That raises all ships. And if you look at the Japanese economy, right, they have a Koretsu, right? Which is very similar to a generative economic model where you have Mitsubishi who not only create cars, but they have a stake in the electricity and gas and water work. So if one part of their business succeeds, they share the profits across the other parts of the business they work in to improve the services at large. And it's been, Japan is a great country, right? The Olympics are there right now. It's a shame that a lot of these stadiums are empty because of the pandemic, but that is what it is, right? It's more important things than watching fencing. Um, so like, it clearly works. It's, it's demonstrated to work. And right now we're stuck with this extricative model where centralized platforms are not telling you exactly what's going on or taking your eyeballs or making it very difficult to see exactly who saw your ad where, why and how. And I think it's getting to the point where the second that kind of legislation comes in, like the GDPR or CCPA, like, you know, you've gone too far as an industry because the government don't understand advertising intricately as we do. So they're very heavy handed and this, this legislation actually hurt the people that Probably they probably didn't mean to. Like Facebook and Google, probably part of their P and L now is just paying the fines they're collecting, right, in France, but then further across Europe. And if once people start seeing it's a little bit of an earner, everyone's going to pile in. So it's yeah, I can't remember where I started off that rant. We just snowballed, <laughs> but yeah, I, I think like by having more people winning more often, there'll be there more collaboration, as you say. There'll be more data sharing and kind of more resource then enables you to spend more time figuring out the right kind of data insights. Or if you're a publisher, creating more beautiful content as they do day in, day out, and perhaps having more resource and engineering teams to create a better user experience online and just take it back, as you said, Thomas, to the the magazine days where there was like really great advertorial almost experiences coupled with well-written, considered content that is still relevant now, like maybe perhaps less so, but people still buy GQ magazines, people still buy Vanity Fair. I would probably rather read a magazine than go on a website and read their articles, frankly, because there's something, it's an experience, right? It's like a, you go to the airport and you pick it up and sit and read it on the plane and enjoy it for an hour or two hours or whatever it is, rather than flick haphazardly through two and a half articles and you read 10% of all of them, you know? So 
yeah, kind of just taking a bit more time with stuff, I think will just yield much, much better results. And the way you earn more time is by having more resource, kind of like if you can't get more hours in the day, you put more people in those hours and you get more stuff done, right? It's like everyone's being squeezed at the moment, which I think has forced people to make not nefarious decisions, but decisions out of necessity to run their, run their business effectively, keep paying salaries for the people that work there. And it's like, why not put more into that? You know, like why not help the people that are actually at the coalface doing the hard work rather than just having their content scooped up and pushed out on a platform that has no responsibility or anything to do with the original publication? Yeah, I think right now there's, there's dare I say, a sort of competitive relationship between advertisers, publishers, and consumers. Yeah. There's sort of an assumption that people don't want advertising, they hate advertising. It's just... they. They, they don't like what it's saying, they don't like what it's doing, they don't like what it's like funding. Ad blockers. You know, yeah. ad blockers. And the reality is people don't hate advertising. Obviously we're saying they're working in advertising. But people accept the relationship between advertising and, and content. They, they yep. know it funds it. Um, and, you know, there are, there are solutions like the Netflix and subscription models which allow, you know, people to, to, to get to the content directly by funding it. But for the most part, you know, people won't pay for every little thing yep. they consume from a content point of view and they're happy for, for advertising to fund it. I think right now, though, it's just got to the point where that, that relationship is broken. Yeah. Um, the amount of advertising they get and the quality of it has just gotten so low. I, totally I think that, we yeah. need to rebalance that. And I think, again, Alchemy is going to help to rebalance that. And that, that makes us really excited. Um, you, you see, I, you know, we, we, we do a lot of work on uh, TikTok um, with, with the sort of younger consumers, um, increasingly all consumers, to be honest, mm. on TikTok. And, you know, the one thing we see is that pe people there, young people in particular, um, there's an assumption um, that, that, that they, they don't like advertising, but they do. They, they, they love advertisers and brands who help fund and, and reward the, the creators that they love. You yeah. know, pe 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 people, people are happy to see that the creative people, whether that's writers, authors, magazines, creatives, YouTubers, whatever, um, you know, are, are, are doing well for their talents. Um, and advertising is, is, is part of, if not mm -hmm. all, the solution to that. Um, we just have to get the balance right between yeah. between the spam, between the crap, between you know funding misinformation. Yeah, exactly. I completely agree because you know, love them or hate them, people like Logan Paul, they do create content, right? You know, they they they, they are very good at building out that content. It, it's content that that people that subscribe to them really consume and really you know really just an appointment to view the, the next the next video that comes out. So we don't want to throw all that away, but you know, throw away the how you know you wouldn't guess what the celebrity looked like this day? And, you know, yeah. I'm still trying to see what Christina Aguilera looks like now. Um, <laughs> you know, I've clicked through 150 images and been shown an ad on each one. You know, that that could be that could do with being being tidied up a little bit. Yeah, I think it just comes down to thinking about that value exchange between yeah. you know between an audiences and you know what you're trying to communicate again, and that's where you know something like Alchemy does actually put that value exchange at the front and center. Of um, of the offering, which mm. is where we need to return to. Because I think a lot a lot of what's being touted at the moment is like exactly you said. It's reestablish the intended value exchange, right? And our solution is the advertising industry is that give me your email address and you continue to get free content. So so I continue to get free content without giving you my email address because it was there in the first place. So pass. And I think that the advertising industry is not going to solve data sovereignty online, which is largely what that issue is. Like we put a lot of trust into institutions, private, privately owned institutions that know my email address. They know what content I read. They know who I follow on. Do you know, they, they, they can understand a lot from that. And there's been this blind trust for a long time. And some, some solution will come along whereby we do all own our own data 
and then we decide who makes that available who can see that and we're here to support that future so like then if all of a sudden if you're if you understand the value exchange and you see fewer ads then you can say right okay i will let you know when I move house and what my new address is so that insurance providers can give me the latest deal on home insurance and broadband providers can give me a broadband deal when I need it. And local restaurants can say, come and check us out. We're 200 meters down the road. We'll serve you a great dinner this evening, you know? And it's like, that's when I would get actually some value myself from advertising. But then also we're talking about a future where with Web3 and Web3 wallets, they become payment rails through the browser so then why not if you're prepared to give that data and there's more revenue in the chain now can you not become like an individual affiliate and kind of be part of the value exchange by actually getting some kind of value in terms of like a currency or whatever it may be to then you to use in the same way that like the times right has a times plus club that you get part of and they give you particular deals based off the fact that you're paying your subscription every month like why not do that everywhere on the web? And then you tie together e-commerce and then you tie together advertising and then you do start to get meaningful results and information from amazing creative campaigns executed across the right media at the right time to the right person. Like it will start to perform better. And then you may need less frequency of ads, but much, much more beautiful, bigger ad budgets to create awesome campaigns. And then you see, okay, my TV performs slightly better than my audio let's rejig that for the next run in the campaign next month or wh whatever it may be, right? Like it just does open up the door to just more innovation, more effectiveness, better collaboration when more, more of the revenue shared, more everyone knows what's going on. People aren't kind of shaking your hand and then figuring out how to kind of make their arbitrage model work on the back end to allow them to continue to run their business. You know, it's like the whole industry is kind of a bit topsy-turvy now. Like, it's almost like we it could be described as an, it's a bit of a Harry Potter reference, but like you, if you imagine the Weasley's house, and I have stolen this from um, Natasha Whitford Evans, so shout out to her if she's listening for this great analogy, but OpenRTB for me was the plans the Weasleys used to build their house. And then they had more kids, so they had to like stick extra parts of the building on and it starts to look a bit precarious. And really it was built on a solid foundation, but over time through necessity, it's become a little bit, unstable as it were so what we're thinking of doing is taking the open rtb infrastructure open rtb state schema sorry applying that to a blockchain based infrastructure to create a better more suitable house i feel like i'm on homes under the hammer for, for the wheezies to live in in the future you a know malfoy manor you might say <laughs> exactly that yeah I, I am known i can be quite brentish in my metaphor sometimes i do tend to thrash them so that was exhibit a <laughs> yeah I, mean, I think, I think that's sorry. absolutely essential, though, is, is that the, the, the advertising industry is it, 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 it's a hamster on a, on a, on a wheel and that it's, it's got momentum, it's doing things in a certain way. Um, and it's going to, uh, any, any ad tech business coming in has to, has to make it easy, um, both to, to, to give it a go and to, and to plug into it. Um, and I think if anything that requires a, a, an advertiser or a, a business, a media agency, um, you know, do, doing anything different, it just is, it isn't going to get adoption anytime soon. And I think that's one of the great things about alchemy is that you know you you're, you're plugging into the, the existing yeah. way things are done. And so, like you, you you don't even need to know um, yeah. that that's how it's being done. You're just getting you know a, a, a much better return on, on on your money. Yeah, like Visa. Um, I don't know how Visa works, but works every time I buy a coffee. You know, yeah. so like great. 
Yeah, and the, and the plans to the Weasley's house were, were well well written, right? Yeah, they, yeah, they, yeah exactly. They, they employed an architect. They were magical. Um, yeah, you know, they were magical, and <laughs> and you know they, they don't really need to be. They don't really need to be changed. You know, may, maybe down the road, yes, but but at the moment they don't need to be changed. What needs to be changed is the um, kind of the infrastructure that, that that connects those dots. And that's exactly it. Once that you get it onto that new stack, then you can start to do innovative things with it. Absolutely, I think yeah. right now it's not necessarily about doing innovative things; it's about doing things better and more efficiently. Correct. Exactly. Um, that's going to start to fund better content and get more, you know, which is which is brilliant. But then, as you say, that, that long term vision of what that ultimately is going to mean in terms of you know, users having better control over their data, mm-hmm. being able to offer that up to um, to, yeah. to, 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 to brands, you know, um, for some reward. Um, cutting out a lot of those those middlemen is really exciting. Yeah, um, I mean, to, to thrash the analogy even more, love it. it's um, it's kind of building that solid foundation for the Weasley's house so, yep. so, that, so that you can then have a solid base on which you can do... Renovations every yeah, year. Yeah, renovations. Because yeah. they, they wanted to build on the beach and we're like, no, 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 guys. It's <laughs> no good. You can't build in sand, can you? Because if a storm comes along, you know, so like, yeah. Uh, only the love goods build on the beach. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, I hope everyone watches Harry Potter. Otherwise, that last ten minutes is going to be <laughs> weird. Um, so, I think just to, this is our kind of segment that we is, is staying in. I think it's the second time we've made it. But do you either of you have a favourite ad to round things up? Like, what has been your favourite ad? Put you on the spot. Um, but we did pre warn you five minutes before we started. So, yeah. On the semi spot. Yeah. Uh, from my point of view, um, yeah. I'm sorry to say it has to, has to be a, a TV advert, not a digital one. Um, but I think the Guinness Surfer. Yeah. Um, it's just, just such an amazing advert. If you haven't seen it, just Google Guinness Surfer. But it's a, it's a beautiful piece of art in its own right. Mm. But at the same time, it just says so much about the brand. It's so impactful. You can't get away from it once you've seen it. And once you've seen it a few times, you really want a Guinness. So yeah, yeah. it's a really brilliant piece of film. And that, and that whole good things come to those who wait is just genius. Absolute genius. Um, mine is also a TV ad and um, quite a connection really into a lot of things, but it's a New Zealand transport agency ad mm-hmm. um, from New Zealand. Thomas and I met working on New Zealand transport agency, but unlike most people in advertising who just sort of stumbled into advertising, I absolutely knew I wanted to work in advertising and even more, I knew I wanted to work in the media side of things. Nice. And this is a TV ad that was on before I started at the agency. It's called The Wheel of Misfortune mm-hmm. and it's about the decisions that people make at intersections and how at intersections you, it's sort of in fate's hand and it's this sort of grim reaper sitting next to this Wheel of Misfortune. And when I went into my interview for the role at the agency, the Wheel of Misfortune was sitting in the reception and I thought, I really really need to get this job yeah <laughs> that was incredible um, was it? like like probably like a fangirling over it yeah yeah definitely I actually didn't get that job I got the other one but <laughs> it, it was at the same agency so that was okay yeah um but it's worth a watch it's called yeah the wheel of misfortune and it's yeah I can still kind of hear the music and see the guy sitting there and I proudly looked at that wheel every day that I walked in when I first started working there so that's very cool have a look yeah. <laughs> I think I've got one as well I, it, it was quite a recent one but it was the the NICAD where they like cut all the different sports teams together <laughs> as part of like, do you know what? And it was like a real, real tearjerker. I'm a bit of a sop, but like I was watching it. I was like, holy shit, this is really speaking to me. I want to get back into a team sport because how uh, excited all these guys are. And it's the way it was cut together was just like an incredible, incredible job that Nike did with that. I think I have to say it was pretty ace. I thought you were going to talk about Nike Londoner. Yeah. Which, which, well, actually which what I should have said is... Um, 
we've just created a new alchemy video. It's 90 seconds long. And that is actually my new number one favorite ad. It's pretty, it's pretty good. It's also it's worth right. watching. Yeah, I, certainly, I mean, yeah, I was blown away. Um, well, and, yeah, and actually thanks to Thomas and Emily for, for feedback during the, yeah, during the, the, yeah. the build of that video. What's, yeah. your, what's yours, Neil? Gonna contribute now. Yeah. So, so there's a, um, and I, I don't think it ever won any awards or anything, but it really, it really kind of like stands by me and actually convinced me to to buy the product for a while. Which is, which, it was actually for Miller Genuine Draft, and it was an ad where a guy comes out. I think it's in San Fran or something, and he com- he comes out of his house, uh, turns left, gets on his bike, ri- rides down a hill, like free wheels down a hill, picks up Miller, comes out of the store goes left again, three wheels down the hill and ends up at his front door. And it just it had a cool soundtrack. It was just really well shot. It was be- like a really beautiful ad. And yeah, I actually started drinking Miller Genuine Draft for a while off the, off the back of it. <laughs> Where'd you get that in the UK, mate? Out of interest. All leading supermarkets. <laughs> <laughs> and pubs. The branch of beer are available. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Well... Thomas, Emily, this has been absolutely fantastic. Thanks for joining us. Um, Thanks for having us. Great conversation. The crowd's going absolutely wild. (laughs) Thank you so much for your opinions. Loving having the soundboard, have to say. Um, That's what they need at the Olympics. Yeah, they do actually, yeah. Uh, Maybe we'll get off to do a podcast there. (laughs) Maybe. Doubt it. Um, But yeah, thank you both for joining us. I'm going to play our outro now and kind of fade to black. Thanks very much, guys.